And the, the title of this, what I want us to focus on, is The Crying Need of Repentance. Amen. It's what we've, what we've already talked about somewhat here tonight. Yes, sir. And if you, if you would bow your heads for me, we'll start with a prayer. And I want everybody to be praying for me. Amen. Praying for this church and praying for our country. Yes. Our Heavenly Father, my God, we come to Thee tonight. Lord, that I pray that our own spirits, Father, if that they, they need to be turned, Lord, to, have, to give us a heart of repentance. Lord God, we are, we are a, as the prophet said, we, Lord, we are sinful people in, in the midst of a sinful nation. God, cleanse us. Call to our minds those things which, of which we need to repent and take them away from us, Lord, and cause us, we ask, to turn and to walk in thy ways and in thy paths, O Lord. Lead and guide us, I pray. I pray that you would bless each person here. And Father, that you would speak to us in the, the areas and the ways in which we need to hear from thee. In Christ our Savior's name, amen. amen. I think if anything ought to be obvious to everyone, if you've been paying any attention at all to what's going on in the world, is that our people are at a crossroads. Right. And we've got to ask ourselves, which way are we going to go? I can tell you what it looks like. But God, God Almighty in His infinite mercy for whatever His reasons are, He hasn't slammed the door shut yet. There's still, there's still a chance. There's still an opportunity to repent. We have to ask ourselves, which way are we going to turn? I'd like to start in the Scripture. And we're going to start in Revelation. And if you'd like to turn with me, we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 3. And I want, us to, I want us to read, I'm going to read here verses 16 through 18. This is the word of Christ to the church of Laodicea. And the church of Laodicea has been used probably for centuries as an illustration of a people who are lukewarm. Who, they don't care, they think they're fine. And unfortunately, the situation is our, our country and our people think they're fine. Yeah. We're, this is the state we're in. Listen to these verses. God says, Then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, he said, I'm disgusted with this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've had enough of this. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. If that description doesn't describe our country. I was just reading just a few days ago, the, the Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist, I, again, I grew up there. And regardless of how bad it's gotten, I guess I'll always have somewhat of a soft spot for Southern Baptist. My grandfather was a Baptist preacher. And the president of the Southern Baptist Convention was holding hands on a stage with a Negro woman who was one of the ringleaders of this anti-white uh, uh, 
communist, let's call it what it is, it's a, it's a communist satanic movement to take away our, our people's history to deny that we have any part in anything. They're claiming this is their country. It belongs to them. It doesn't belong to you. And the Baptist Convention is holding hands with these people because they're worried about uh, ministers and preachers who are preaching a message of covenantalism or what used to be called Reconstruction. Well, that's the least of our problems. But th this is what the Baptist church is promoting. Which way are we going to turn? And I'm afraid we're, we're, we're seeing a, a bit of that. Our people, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, our people are dying, and I mean that quite literally. It's this injection issue, this vaccination issue that has gone on in the last year, that's just part of it. We were dying before that and refused to see it. And our necks are stiffened and hardened against God. And the hand of the Lord is stretched out. And we're just beginning somewhat to feel our, our people since the end of the Second World War have grown so unimaginably, unbelievably arrogant. To think that we, we can never be defeated. This will never be. You know, the, the scripture describes the people who say it'll, today's going to be wonderful and tomorrow's going to be better. And there'll be more to eat and there'll be more to drink. And God warns, he says, I can take it away in one snap. It'll all be gone. The food, the drink, the clothing, the power, all of it. He is calling us and he's warning us. In the, in the sixth chapter of the prophet Isaiah. I'm not sure that we really have a full grasp on the distance between God and between us, between his righteousness and our righteousness. Our righteousness amounts to nothing in the sight of God. In the, in the book of the prophet Isaiah, and here's a man who is, Isaiah was a good man. He, he might be one of the best men who ever lived. But when Isaiah saw God in chapter 6, I'm going to turn over there and read this. I don't want to misquote anything because it's important. <clears throat> in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, he tells us, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim. Each one had his six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. Now let me ask you a question. These, these supernatural beings Isaiah is seeing. Why, is he, why are they covering their face? Because even, even they are nothing in the sight of God. They are humbled in the sight of God. And, and we've got... I follow this. I try to follow what is going on in the world. We have got persons in our country claiming to be ministers. They're, they're rewriting the Bible to suit themselves. They're, re, they're, they're simply openly, publicly rewriting the scripture. I don't like what this says. I want it to say something different. Claiming to be ministers of God. And these supernatural beings here in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, they're covering their face because they, they are nothing in the sight of God. 
And one was crying unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And watch this. Then said, I woe is me, for I am undone. That could also mean I'm, I'm cut off. This is it. My, I've come to the end of my line. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The prophet was immediately, just by being there, he was convicted. I'm, I'm nothing. I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. God Almighty had to reach down and touch him to deliver his message. In other words, when I was, the, the, the moment that this good man, this very good man, who was right where he should have been in the temple, doing the appropriate things he was supposed to be doing, he realized, I, I need to repent. I need to repent. How much more then do we need to repent? Earlier in the book, in his first message, Isaiah, in fact, his book opens with this message. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Now, there's no way that we can look around us at the material abundance. I think it's already been mentioned here, the sheer material abundance that we have in this country clothes on our back, the food on our plates, the machines we ride in, and all the rest of it. Where did it come from? God has given us all this and we've rebelled. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people doth not consider. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They've forsaken the Lord. They've provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are going away backward. And this verse ought to frighten you. Why should you be stricken anymore? God is saying, the chastisement does no good. I'm wasting my time here, is what the Lord's saying. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they've not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Now, that is a very picturesque description of the state those people were in. And I want you to think about the state of our country. We still act like it. We still believe that it's 1955 and we're strong and powerful. We're indefeatable and we're hollowed out. We're hollowed out morally. We're hollowed out physically. We're hollowed out financially. We're hollowed out militarily. And the hand of the Lord is stretched out. And we have to ask ourselves, how much longer? How much longer? How much more patience will God have? Lest we repent. I want to share a few statistics with you. I, I like these things because they illustrate our problem. According to the government, the Border Patrol, U.S. Border Service, fiscal year 2023, which will end, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of this month, in just a few days, fiscal year ends, 
Uh, but this, this report came out uh, earlier in, in the month, so this number is higher than what I'm going to tell you. But there were officially roughly 2.2 million encounters at the border. Imagine a 2.2 million man army crossing your border. How's that not an invasion? It's a flood. Shame. That is their own, that's what they'll admit to. Now ask yourself this, how many did they not catch? How many got across without being encountered by Border Patrol? What's here, what's coming? Did God not say, did he not warn, if you will not follow me, if you will not obey me, I'll bring all of this, I will take it, You're going, you will lose it. And we're, we're watching it happen in real time. And our the, the churches of this country, by and large, either have no idea what's going on, or they don't have the courage to say what's going on. One of the two, I don't, I don't know which it is, I don't know which one's worse. In this same first chapter of Isaiah, he says here, If ye be willing and obedient, this is verse 19, ye shall eat the good of the land, but if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, we're, we're pretty confident, I would say, in the idea that there's not many, there's not but two, maybe three countries in our own mind, that could go toe-to-toe with the United States on a battlefield. But our people... Let me ask you a question. Are we being devoured with a sword? How many of our people are murdered by these invaders? I don't really know the the number. How many little children... Or or, or how many horrible things happen to little children from from this? How How many young girls are abused and or murdered because of this. It's going on all around us, and it's almost like people absolutely refuse to make the connection. You see, our our country, here's another little statistic. This has already been mentioned tonight. And I'm not sure that the effect of this can be overstated. Our country used to be known for its moral positions. It was almost a, uh, it almost amused the other people in the world. Oh, those Americans, they're so morally uptight and, and they, they won't do anything. Uh, there's an interesting story that the, uh, William Jennings Bryan was uh, at one point the American, um, well, he was the Secretary of War. We call it the Defense Secretary now. And after the Russo-Japanese War, he was expected to, he was at a meeting with his, counterparts, and he was expected as part of his official duties to offer a toast to the Japanese ambassador. Uh, it was just part of his official government goings on. And Mr. Bryan was a teetotaler. He was very much opposed to alcohol, wouldn't drink it, and he was, said he was somewhat disturbed by how am I going to do this without causing an embarrassment to the country. And it came to him at the table. When the time came to do his duty, he stood up and he lifted his water glass and he spoke some words and said, I'm going to toast our Japanese counterparts with water. And if he ever wins his naval victories on wine, I'll toast him with that. Uh, but the point I'm making is that, that uh, Mr. Bryan was so committed Amen. in his heart and mind that this is what God wants me to do. That he was willing in, in a public forum like that in front of the high and mighty of the world 
just, just to hold on to his moral possession. And our country used to be known for this. Well, now what it's known as is the absolute world center of the homosexual and the transgender and the transvestite perversion. Our country literally, the, the things we mentioned earlier, these sins, our country, go, we, the government goes around the world trying to get third world people to engage in this. It's insanity. It's insanity. It's, it's revolting in the eyes of our God. A full 60% of the pornographic websites that are on the internet, and there's a lot of them, but more than half of these things are hosted inside the borders of the continental United States. That is the source of this. That amounts to 420 million pages over 4.2 million web domains. That's what our country's known for now. We've become the world center of that. But let's bring this a little bit closer to home. Our own people. And by that I mean white rural American conservatives. Maybe they don't know the Israel message. Maybe they've never heard it. But you know, the goods, the, the, what they used to call good salt of the earth people. We are a moral train wreck. Think of Appalachia. Appalachia is a, is a wreck. It, it's... It's the nation's capital of death from drug overdoses. We way they have way surpassed the predominantly black inner cities. They still the capital for shooting and murdering. But our people have gone on a put themselves into a drug induced coma that's killing them. Uh, the country, the, the part of the country, the part of the world I lived in, the Bible Belt. It's simply, it's become a moral cesspit. Every other truck stop has a porn shop you can go in. It's up and down the interstates. Think about right here in the rural Midwest. You can see these things up and down. On, I, I've never seen anything like it. I don't know how many marijuana stores a rural county can support. How much of that stuff did you sell? It's, it, it absolutely astounds me. And this is what our people are putting, bending their minds and putting themselves into. The, 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 um, the American white people. It is, it is a tragedy. But there's another issue. And this is going on all over the world. A falling birth rate. <clears throat> Do you remember when God said you will be few, you will be scattered, you'll be brought to nothing? God warned us about that. Well, the official numbers on that since 2007, that gives us what? 16 years. There's been a rough decline of 20% from an already low level. Our people are way, way below replacement level at this point. In the United States, as of 2021, all, and this is all races. This is not just our people. This is all races in the United States. White, black, Hispanic, everything. The, the rough total fertility rate is 1.66. Level is 2.1. You've got to be above that to be growing in number. We're way below that. 
Our own people are dying. Our country's filling up with that which is not our people. The, the hand of the Lord. I don't know how anyone can't see how the churchmen of our country cannot see what's happening here. We're, we're not, we're not going to be conquered. We're already being conquered. The, the process is underway. It's happening. And yet, where's the repentance? Where's the repentance? When this is going on, we have our, our own government, our, our own people. Everything is, is bent towards starting what would be an unimaginably destructive fratricidal war with another nuclear-armed white nation. It's insanity. The great Puritan uh, preacher and writer, John Owen, I want to share a quote from him. John Owen said, Esau... Think about Esau just a minute. Esau is a clear example of a truth that nobody knows where deliberate sin might lead. Now let's, stop, let's think about that a minute. Nobody knew in this country. Well, we can go back to 1954. Let's just start there for sake of argument. Nobody knew, well, we're going to forcibly, at the barrel of a gun, integrate the races. We're going to force the children together. And after a few years, well, that's not so bad. Nothing's changed that much. But then the 60s hit. And every year it gets a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And then, you know, the, the world I came up in, they said, well, this isn't so bad. Things have kind of leveled off and it's... It's okay, you know, that there was no open homosexuality when I was a child. It was something you didn't talk about. There was no open transgenderism. That was something you didn't talk about. And if you did, you made fun of it. But then all, it's almost like people say, where did this come from? Like all of a sudden this happened. It didn't happen all of a sudden. It takes a while to filter through. It takes a while for the older generations to get out of the way and for things to become more accepted. And then one day, all of a sudden, it's like you look around and something's everywhere. But it's because it was allowed in without resistance and without repentance. And then it becomes accepted. First it's tolerated, then it's accepted. I've used the example before. We like to, uh, they right now like to talk so much about tolerance. Oh, we need tolerance. Everybody needs to be tolerant. Well, tolerance is good in its place. But if, you, if you're building an engine, a, a tolerance is how far the thing can deviate from spec before it comes apart. Well, our country's coming apart. We've exceeded the tolerances. What, what we need in our country, we need to, have in, we need to be intolerant towards sin because God is intolerant towards sin. That's what we have to be. As, as Mr. Owen said, no one knows where deliberate sin may lead. And we've, we have been deliberately, willfully, knowingly sinning for decades in this country. And here we are now facing really almost an unprecedented crisis. 
it, it isn't exactly like what the ancient kingdom faced because we don't live in that world. But instead of being, instead of being invaded with swords and spears, we're just being invaded. We're, as, as we heard earlier, we're being flooded and pushed out of what was ours. And we forfeited it. And God told us what would happen. There's a, there's a crying need for repentance, and it, it has not been forthcoming. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 5, he gave the same call. I'm going to read a few verses here in chapter 5 if you want to follow along with me. I'm going to read 1 through 9 for starters. He said, he's told, run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment that speaketh the truth, and I will pardon it. Now, I, I am praying, my prayer to the Lord is that there be no, that we're, that we're not there yet. Because that's exactly the deal. That's exactly the deal that Abraham was able to procure for Sodom. Because if you could find me a righteous man, I'll pardon the city. Yeah. Though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Jeremiah is telling us the same thing Isaiah was telling us. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They've made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Our country will do anything. Any political machination, any stupid social nonsense, but repent. That's what I I'd said earlier. Our necks are stiff and our hearts, the hearts of this country are hardened. Therefore, I said, but, but surely these are poor, they're foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me to the great men, I will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. But these, these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. In other words, these are worse. Yeah. They're doing worse because they've, they've got more money and they've got more resources to do worse with. Sometimes when I read the prophets, I think, was this written last week? It, 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 it doesn't change. Because human nature doesn't change. But he goes on. And I'm going to read. I want to skip over to verse 12. They have belied the Lord and said, it is not he. We've been stricken this year. M mildly praise God's name. But we've been stricken this year with some problems. We're, we're, we're experiencing right now the beginnings of an economic problem. This entire thing was, has been built since the first decade of the 21st century on, an insane, on insanely low interest rates. And that's reversed. That's going to be an issue. 
Our agricultural system this year has been terrible. The count, the number of uh, what's called the national herd, the number of cattle that are counted in the surveys, is, the, is at the lowest it's been since 1960. And it's continuing to decline. The harvests in numerous states have been downgraded. Yes, we, yes, we've still got enough. We've still got abundance. But I believe God is warning us. He said His word, I'm going to warn you. And the people right here, they're saying what? It is not He. Neither shall evil come upon us. Neither shall we see sword nor famine. That's a dangerous place to be. Because God's not trying to, <clears throat> God's not trying to bring the calamity. He's trying to call for repentance. He wants to call for repentance. He wants to see his people repent. And thus far, on a, certainly on a national level, we are not seeing that. And then if you'll skip over one more to verse 22. God says, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, and it cannot pass it? Though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sin have withholden good things from you. Among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that set his snares. They set a trap to catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. They're waxen fat, they shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. In the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? That ought to be frightening. Our country should be, we as a people ought to be on our knees when we see those scenes of what's coming across that border. When we see the things that are moving around the world. We shouldn't be proud and, we, you know, we're tough. We, we, we can tackle it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be that way at all. We have deliberately sinned. God has told us what to do and we have rejected what he said. I'm going to turn here for a moment now over into the book of Hebrews. I want you to think back a minute ago when I mentioned that example of Esau. Book of Hebrews mentions Esau. Chapter 12, found in verse 17. Ye know how that afterward when he, that is Esau, would, would have inherited the blessing. Well, let me, read, let me read verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. There's a, there is a very real sense in which we've done that. Our 
people, our country, we sold our birthright. We threw it away. Because we counted it as something that that's not worthy. I don't want that. I want these, all the pleasures of sin. I want what the world offers. We're going we're to break God's bonds. We're going to break God's word. We're going to break the chains God gave us. Not to restrain us and tie us down and make us miserable, but to keep us within His will. And, and our country has taken a position. Our people, by and large, e- even in the churches, they hate the law of God. It's done under the guise of, well, you're not under the law for salvation. And that's very true. That's very true. But really, I I do believe the real reason is they hate the idea that God says, do this, don't do that. Can't tolerate it. It will not be corrected. As Jeremiah said, we will not receive the correction. Like Esau... Ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no, no place of repentance. No way to change his heart and his mind. Though he sought it carefully with tears. You see, Esau was upset that he couldn't have the blessing. He wasn't convicted and broken over what he'd done. He wanted to get away with what he did and get the blessing. That's just not the way it works. That's just simply not the way it works. We can't have a hardened heart against the voice of God. Back in chapter 3 of this same book of Hebrews, we read, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. Now these words ought to give you some hope. Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If, if you're in Christ, says we, th- those who, are, who, who believe, who are the, the elect, those who are in Christ, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. We have to not have a heart that's hardened against the voice of God. And I'm afraid, based on what I see, that our nation, our people as a whole, that's exactly what they've got. I wonder sometimes if they even, if our people even can hear the voice of God. Because we're so wrapped up in this idea, well, I've got the right to do whatever I want to do. And it just so happens that what the vast majority of people want to do, apparently, is sin. That's what people want to do. Well, the problem is God says you don't have the right to do that. Now, you can do it. You can get away with it for a while. But there's going to be consequences. Consequences will come. And that's where repentance comes in. God is calling us to return to Him in repentance.
Let's turn in the, the time we've got left. Let's turn back to the prophet Isaiah. This ought to be a pretty familiar passage. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 55. And I want, I'm going to read this through verse 7. Because I want us to hear these words. I want you to think about these words. The prophet says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You see, that's the thing. God is telling you, you don't have anything I want. I don't want to trade with you. I'm not, we're not, I'm not going to bargain. I'm not selling anything. He's saying, come and buy without money, without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me. Eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee, because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now that is the call that's open. God's calling the people, return unto me. God will pardon. He will have mercy. There is still mercy with God. The the hand of the Lord that's been stretched out in chastisement on this country, on, this, on His people, is to call us to come back to Him in repentance. And that, that door is open. He hasn't... He has not brought it to an end quite yet. We have time to repent. Jeremiah chapter 3 shares much the same thing. Starting in verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord. I will not keep anger forever. What do we have to do? What does the next verse say? Only acknowledge thine iniquity. That's repentance. Turn from, acknowledge, I have sinned and done wrong. That's the call that God is still extending to our people tonight. Acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, said the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you, one of a city, two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, 
which shall feed you with knowledge and with understanding. I wonder if our people, do they want the knowledge and the understanding? Or do we, do we in other words, do we want to repent? Because if we want that, if we want that blessing, the first step to that blessing is repentance. Being, it's not just being sorry for you know. And on some sense, Esau was sorry for what he did. Yeah. On some level, I mean, I mean, he wept over it, but that wasn't repentance. No. <clears throat> You're sorry. You must be sorry for it, and you got to turn from it, put it away. What What would repentance in America look like? Well, I think one of the first things that might happen. As we've already talked about several times, but it's such a pressing problem in our The first thing that might happen is we'd get the perverts away from the little children. That'd be a good first step in our society. That'd be an excellent start. Then we might start thinking about dealing with the, as we've already mentioned, the problem that's flowing across the border. Let's put a stop to that. Let's ask God to help us, Lord, that, that we... We sinned against you, and this is why this flood, this is why this invasion has been brought upon us. And we repent and ask you to help us deal with it. Then maybe we can talk about some of the filth in our society. Maybe we can start trying to deal with the drug issues. There's a whole litany of things. But it's, it requires the first step. Is our people have to come to that point where we will repent. And we can say like Job, if we've seen the Lord... I've seen, I've seen the Lord, and I, behold, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. <clears throat> in the time we've got left, I'm going to go back to the New Testament. I want us to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. Actually, let's read this. Let's read this account over in Luke chapter 15. Hear the words of, of our Savior. Luke chapter 15. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now the point of the parable, obviously that God is teaching that, Christ was teaching these people that God is pleased, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. God is pleased when, his, when he is obeyed. God is pleased when we acknowledge our sin and say, Lord, I'm unrighteous, I'm unworthy, and I need you. I need Christ 
to help me with my problem. But I, I, I believe that last little phrase there, 90 and 9 just persons which need no repentance. That was kind of a little backhanded comment at the Pharisees. There's no one that needs no repentance. Remember Isaiah in the temple? Isaiah needed repentance. And if Isaiah needed it, and if Noah and Jeremiah and Daniel and the Apostle Peter and all of these other men needed it, surely I need it. As the words of, the, of a song, I want to, in closing, the door is open, the place of repentance is open. And as the song said, mercy there is great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The forerunner to the Messiah, John the Baptist, his great message, his great call, found in, it's very simple, found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is, a, is at hand. Now, if the kingdom of heaven was at hand in the day of John the Baptist, how much closer, how much closer must we be to that kingdom? So I, won't, I would just like to ask us all, to strive to live a life of repentance. Let's pray for ourselves. Pray for each other. Amen. Pray for our church. Amen. And exa examine ourselves as we're instructed in the New Testament to see where we have fallen short and return and repent. Amen. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand and our God still this day will abundantly pardon. Thank you very much for your time, and I hope and pray that that will be of some benefit, and God bless you all.